You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Good evening and welcome to Done By Law on 3CR 8.55am and welcome to those listening via 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. It's just gone past six o'clock and you're here with Gemma and Daniel this week. Well, we've seen the increasing power of online digital platforms like Facebook and Google over recent years, but perhaps none more so than in 2020, when the impact and influence of these superpowers became so publicly entangled in the US politics and dissemination of misinformation. The platforms were exposed as sharing selective news sources to certain groups, or being used as a mouthpiece to incite and invoke crimes of the highest order, culminating in the insurrection of the Capitol in the dying days of the Trump presidency. State governments worldwide have been considering what they can do to regulate and control the impact of these new superpowers, and Australia is no exception. Over the last two to three years, the Australian government, headed up by the ACCC, has conducted an in-depth inquiry into the digital platforms and has come up with a proposed media bargaining code, which was revealed earlier this year. The code has a number of aspects to it, but has drawn most attention for the way it proposes to force the platforms to pay Australian media companies and local content in their search and on their feeds. Suffice to say, the digital platforms aren't happy. In an an astonishing rebuke to the Australian government's proposed new laws, Google has publicly asserted that the code would harm its search services and put individual data at risk, while Facebook has threatened to ban all news platforms, all news, sorry, on its platforms. The Australian government has steelily looked these threats down, but has faced criticism for the way that the code might prioritise certain media companies, such as Murdoch Media, and commentators have also noted that the code is a pretty blunt, poor tool. Tonight we'll be joined by academic and senior lecturer Dr Jake Goldenfine from the Melbourne Law School and later with Lizzie O'Shea, a lawyer and writer of the book Future Histories and a founding member and chair of Digital Rights Watch. So to start with, we're joined by Jake. Jake, can you hear me? Hello. I can. Hi. Hi, Jake. Thank you so much for joining us on Done By Law this, uh, this evening. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No worries. Okay, so, Jake, we're going to try and work out, I know this is a massive topic, um, but to try, really and, yeah, to try and just ease our way into it, um, we're going to, I guess, try and break down the code in more detail later in the program. But before doing so, it would be really good to try and put this topic in some broader historical context in terms of big, big tech and the law. Um, Without wanting to ask the the biggest question possible, how did we actually get here? <laughs> um, that is a that is a big question. Uh, I, I suppose it's worth thinking about um, how newspapers and tech platforms got into this particular situation because um, 
this is really uh, an issue about advertising. Mm. And, and newspapers used to be very, very profitable advertising platforms. Uh, in fact, you know, only a fraction of their revenue came from circulation. The, the vast majority of their revenue came from selling ads. And they were, they were, this made people hugely rich. They were really, really profitable. And um, when the internet came around, they kind of sat on their hands. They thought they still had a, a really good way to make money and nothing was going to sort of push, push them off their, their, their throne. But then Google emerged with uh, another really good product for, for cultivating people's attention, uh, their, their search product, which was, which was really innovative at the time. And they decided to monetize that product with behavioral advertising. So this is advertising that looks at uh, your behavior as you, as you travel through the Internet and targets you with advertising accordingly. As the Internet's become more important and a bigger fraction of newspapers' revenue comes from online advertising, they're getting a bit frustrated because whereas the newspapers used to make the market for, adverti for advertising in their, in their papers, they, they, they directly matched uh, their advertisers with their, their readers, now Google does that for them and Google takes a, a lot of money off the top. Mm. So they're, they're getting a smaller percentage of those advertising revenues. And also Google makes money off how people interact with news as well when it, when it comes through referrals from, from the Google index. And because Google's much better at um, behavioral advertising than the newspapers are, they're collecting more data and they're, 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 they're getting more value out of that data. So the newspapers aren't, aren't, aren't really happy about this. And Google still recognizes that it needs new, like the newspapers generate good content and it needs good content on, on its um, indexes and also the political importance of news. So Google's offered to um, pay or to remunerate uh, the, the news organizations for news. But um, to do it, they've developed this product called Google News Showcase. Mm. And uh, the Australian news companies aren't happy with the deal that they're being offered through Google News uh, Showcase because it requires them to um, publish in Google's formats, channel data through another Google-controlled infrastructure. And I think quite importantly, it requires them to um, get rid of paywalls, yeah. which is not a thing that the news companies want to do. I see, I so see. Google, yeah, so Google would get to set the price and control the data flows, and that's really what this dispute is about. I see. So it's it's Google kind of setting up and owning every step of the infrastructure that people will use to try and consume news. That's, that's exactly right. And that's kind of Google's um, mode of operation. You know, it makes it, it, it we, we see Google through like uh, YouTube and Android and search um, and the Play Store, but it also controls this whole back end of the internet economy, which is all these business to business intermediaries who work the ad tech system. Mm. And Google dominates there as well. And so to dominate in ad tech, you need to control personal data. And so Google's, you know, mission is to channel air, everything, all online activity through infrastructures that it controls so that it can translate that personal data into economic capital. I see. So, I mean, at first blush, it sort of sounds like Google's just um, promoting or pr promoting itself, I guess, to be like a search directory. But um, last month in particular, I think it became clear that 
Google had been conducting experiments on its users by screening certain news sources um, so that some users would not see any local content or might only be exposed to some kinds of media, like anti-vax media or other specific issue-based media. So what harms are created by this kind of market dominance that you were sort of speaking about before? And why would the law be concerned about that? So... Platforms conduct experiments on their users all the time. Mm. It's, it's often, it's sometimes called A-B testing, where a particular group of users will have information presented in one way and another group will have information presented in another way. And uh, whichever group generates the response that the platform prefers, they'll, they'll reiterate the platform to work more that way. So I, I, it's not so peculiar that experiments were happening. These mm. ones seem pretty extreme, but I think that the, the reason is that they're trying to generate data that they can take to the sort of bargaining table to say, you know, this is how getting rid of news is going to affect our traffic. Here's how it's going to affect your traffic. And so everyone can get a sense of, you know, what value each party is generating for the other. I see. But when we talk about, I guess, um, you know, Google conducting experiments to find out which which uh, results, I guess, it prefers, we're talking mm. about what it prefers in terms of revenue, right? Like which which news well, sources will, pro- will provide it with money. Doesn't that sort of create a problem? Yeah, that that's absolutely right. So Google is definitely not just a directory. Um, Google is, you know, it's an advertising machine and it shapes its platform to privilege its own commercial imperatives. So, for instance, one of the things that it does that has evidently really annoyed Australian media companies is that it downranks paywalled content. And why would Google want to do that? Well, it's better for Google if your news organisation relies on behavioural advertising rather than subscriptions because Google makes money off your behavioural advertising. So I think... That to say that it's neutral is wrong. It definitely builds its own commercial priorities uh, into its ranking algorithms. Um, and that's why the, the bargaining code includes some of these non-discrimination requirements too that, that, that prevent Google from treating different news sources differently. Uh, Jake, it's Daniel here on uh, 3CR and Done By Law. I've just been sitting here quietly, I guess. Um, so hello to all the mm-hmm. listeners. Uh, listening, I guess, a bit like Google. Um, and collecting the information that you've been sharing with us. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm curious to know a bit more. You mentioned these non-discrimination clauses in the, in the code. Um, if you could share a bit more about your knowledge about what these are meant to mean and explain to us why there seems to be this struggle to keep up regulation in the area of big tech. Yeah. So non-discrimination is a kind of regulatory strategy that we would typically associate with like a public utility um, mm. rule. So like, you know, even it, it's a way to regulate um, private actors in the public interest. So taxis, for instance, aren't allowed to discriminate against who they give rides to. They have to accept everyone. Uh, the whole net neutrality debate is about not um, privileging certain types of content over other kinds of content. And here... They're saying, all right, Google, you need to not discriminate against media actors who participate in the code. So they're effectively protecting the news organizations who want to get a better deal by saying, Google, you're not allowed to punish them for trying to to bargain this way. That's what they're doing in this this, uh, law specifically. 
But um, people have talked about non-discrimination in search before, and it's quite a difficult concept because, you know, ranking through search is 100% discriminating. Mm. That's how it works. Mm. And it's kind of the the premise, I mean, without wanting to be too... Um too Captain Obvious about it. So it's, the, it's the entire premise of the internet, is it not? <laughs> yes, um, absolutely, yeah. That's um, right. Everything is about relevance ranking now. Yeah. And that's a mechanism of discrimination. Have other countries attempted to regulate the power of online platforms as well? Or is this, you know, and, and could that provide any useful starting point for Australia to look at? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, absolutely. Uh, there's been lots of different ways to attempt at regulating platforms around the world. Uh, Specifically in this sort of new space, France has something similar and Spain tried to push something similar Mm. um, and and that's why there's no Google News in Spain. Um, The the law that people think most significantly regulates platforms is um, privacy and data protection law. Uh, but if we have time to talk about why I don't think that's particularly um, useful, <laughs> I mean, I would say that like it, that that represents a fundamental misunderstanding of how data works mm. in the digital economy, which is why it hasn't been able to, to to shift the digital economy or the dynamics of the economy in any meaningful way. Mm. And and I think that as you know, this this focus on protecting uh, individual autonomy. And this total misunderstanding of data has, has, has enabled this, this data economy to, to really get to where it is now. We're, we're seeing a, an appropriate counter movement, which is structural economic regulation. Um, and so, you know, we have the ACCC doing stuff. The, the, the antitrust regulator in the U.S. Is, is very active at the moment against Google and Facebook. Um, Europe has this new Digital Services Act package. So there's a lot of um, movement in the sort of competition law front. Um, I'm not sure that these competition law solutions are necessarily going to solve all our problems either because we have this internet economy that's all about treating users as like a resource to be cultivated and mined, and none of them really address that uh, dimension or the, that, that sort of um, aspect of the political economy of the internet as it is now. Mm, that's really interesting. And and I guess um, <laughs> bringing it back to the individual level, um, uh, do you use Google as your search engine? What's your... <laughs> Uh, look, you know, um, <laughs> Google is a really good search engine. It mm. works better than anything else. And that's because data is actually incredibly useful for tweaking things like search and recommendation and, and producing good search and recommendation products. But I, I think if you don't want your thoughts being transmitted across corporate-owned and operated inf- internet infrastructure and exploited for profit, then you probably can't use the internet at all anymore. Mm. Um, and maybe that's where we need to be focusing our regulatory strategies about providing sort of civic-minded options, publicly, pub- like public options rather than pro- profit-oriented options. Um, you can use DuckDuckGo as well if you want. That's a slightly different model that doesn't rely on behavioral advertising. But 
I'm not sure that solves the problem either. Yeah, no, that's that's the topic of the endless um, debate with my partner about DuckDuckGo versus Google, so he'll be pleased that you mentioned that. Um, Jake, that's just been so such a great intro to this topic and I'm just so sad that we don't have more time to dig into the material because there's clearly so much to it. So we might have to catch you another time to get into the, the individual privacy and data aspects of this issue because I think there's so much more to it. For sure. I'd love to come back anytime. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Jake. My pleasure. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Thanks so much. Yeah, we'll, we will be. And I think you forgot to mention before Chuck's at a break, Gemma, that we're proudly broadcasting in the studios of 3CR live we are. tonight uh, for the first time in can't even remember. That's so, true. We're back in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Welcome. And <laughs> proudly um, broadcasting on uh, Wurundjeri land as well. Thank you. Um, so it's awesome to be back and we are going to now throw to a break. We are. And try and get our next guest uh, on the air very quickly. So we will hear from you soon. The media in this country, we as Indigenous people know, have censored our right of telling the truth. And the truth is what this country is most fearful of, in particular Indigenous truths. Until history is told by the vanquished lens, which is our people telling our story our way, and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning. Well, people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at the type of psychological warfare, spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in, it's not just in the sense of military when they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right, it's in terms of the media and the industry of media as a warfare against our people and so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're, they're all weapons of mass destruction against our, our people. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. You're back on 3CR listening to Done By Law. Um, you're with Dan and Gemma in the studio. Tonight um, we're speaking about Australia's attempts to introduce legal regulation to control the power of digital platforms like Google and Facebook. And we just heard from Jake Goldenfine about the problems created by digital platforms and how and why the law seeks to constrain this kind of activity. And now we're going to unpack the proposed uh, code in Australia and see why, whether it stacks up and to help us do that, we are now joined by Lizzie O'Shea. Lizzie, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on. So, uh, Lizzie, out of all the issues we've just heard about um, and all the problems that digital pr platforms create, why is this the issue, the media bargaining of Australian media companies that the government has got so hot under the collar about and sought to bring under regulation? Well, I think that's a very astute question, actually, because uh, this came out of the Digital Platforms Inquiry run by the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, and they made a range of recommendations in that report. It was very extensive. 
this is the one that was picked up first by the coalition government. And there's a lot of theories that that's because Rupert Murdoch and News Limited really wanted this to get through and this was a way in which the coalition could give a favour to their mates. Um, I, I'm not sure how true that is, but it was disappointing, I thought, that this was the first cab off the rank when there were many other policy proposals that I thought were much more urgent that came out of it. Um, we have seen some of them advance, so the, the Privacy Act is being reviewed, for example. Um, but there are still many more in the in the, the Commission's report that I think could be action. So there's a theory that it's because media companies are powerful and politicians want to placate them and that's why this is progressing quicker than other things. I see. And um, hi, Lizzie, it's Gemma here. Hi, Gemma. <laughs> nice, to, nice to speak with you. Um, can you take us through, I guess, what the code looks like? You've mentioned that it, it's um, obviously decided to really hone in on this uh, media bargaining aspect uh, for potentially sort of dubious reasons. Um, yeah. But it took them three years to, to come to this point. Uh, what else is in there? So the key aspect of the code is essentially it allows um, or for, it really forces uh, tech companies, a couple of platforms, to negotiate with news corporations, which is def- a, a defined term in the Act for so certain kinds of media organisations, to negotiate about paying a price for linking to news content. So every mm-hmm. time a link appears on these platforms, there'll be a price that is paid to those news media organisations um, as a result. And this is really what was... The Medicode is designed to do force that so by creating a system of arbitration. So if the parties can't agree, then there'll be an arbitrator who decides what a fair price is for that linking. That's part of it. There are other aspects as well. So the media companies will get access to information about how the algorithms work, how, how search um, is produced, how results produced in response to a search, uh, and that will allow them to know more about their audience and how they come to arrive on their news media organisation website. So there's access to user data and um, how how algorithms operate by these tech companies that media companies in particular will get access to, um, which is not something that's really happened before around the world. I mean, the payment system is unprecedented. As far as I can tell, there's not been any proposal like this around the world that's gotten up. So it is pretty a radical change in how we understand the web to work, really. Ah, interesting, because that, that's what I was wondering. I, I couldn't understand why Google and Facebook got so uppity at um, our, little, our little country down here in the bottom of the globe. <laughs> Um, but it sounds like obviously yeah. that's a, a more unique aspect to this code. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely unique. And of course, the other part of it is that I think a lot of these companies think that if it gets up here, it might be implemented in other countries. I, I'm not sure how true that is because there's other regulatory um, impositions that exist that might not make it possible, but that's certainly part of it. But this is why, um, you know, Tim Berners-Lee, who was the inventor of the World Wide Web, he's actually made a submission in response to this code. And you think, oh, Tim Berners-Lee, has he got time to be going through Australia's proposed media code? Yes. Um, but he does. And, and I think it's really interesting to read. It's very short. If people want to look it up, you can find it. It's the submissions page um, in the inquiry that's going on. What he says is one of the central foundations of the web that he invented was free linking. So links were you know, designed to help you navigate through the web. You know, but prior to search engines, there was no other way to really navigate around the web except through links. And the ability to link freely is a central component of the web as it's designed. And this is really the first attempt to take that away, to start saying some links have to be paid for, um, which is a really fundamental change to how we understand how the web works. And I think there could be really negative implications if this, uh, this idea is allowed to take hold and could it extent then be arguably applied in lots of other settings in lots of other jurisdictions as well. So there's a concern I think that he's got that it might undermine some of the free and open nature of the web that is, what is what's made it so successful today. So, Lizzie, there's the concerns coming from the creator of the 
World Wide Web uh, and people like yourself um, mm. about how this code would apply. But would it really have the, I guess, the muscle power and the enforceability when the ACCC have in the past not really been the strongest um, government authority and they're going up against um, the biggest tech companies in the world? Um, how's, how's the um, code looking like as far as its enforceability? I actually don't think there'll be any huge problems with that. I mean, uh, I can understand why people might be critical of the ACCC, but I prefer it to the Australian Securities and Investments Commission. I think they've done a, um, a good job in some ways as a regulator. There's, there's definitely worse regulators out there. Um, so I think the ACCC would be able to... Um, well, this, this is potentially... I don't see any difficulties with enforceability. I do think, obviously, what's come out in the last few days is that one answer to that question is that Google's talked about leaving the jurisdiction, saying mm. we're no longer going to offer search in Australia, and that's their answer. So how do you enforce that? Well, you can't force a company to provide a service in a, in a country um, and you can't force them to pay for that. I mean, I think there's real questions as to whether they will do that because search is integral to other services they provide, including ones that generate revenue for them um, when they provide services to business. That you know, they've made that threat and I think it probably ought to be taken seriously and considered seriously. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think there's, there's a whole lot of questions that are raised by the code and, and one of them, I think, is uh, very reasonable to want to fund journalism, very reasonable to, to be concerned about the fact that key aspects of our media are kind of falling apart because advertising revenue has been diverted away from them towards tech platforms. But I think there's a very um, reasonable argument to make that really the answer is to tax these companies properly mm. uh, and then to put that money into the gaps in the media that we have identified rather than leaving it for media companies to do that themselves. And, you know, I know that there's issues around enforceability with tax. These companies are very sophisticated at getting out of paying tax, but there's a couple of other options on the table in that respect. France, for example, has a really interesting tax law where they've um, taxed companies based on revenue generated in the jurisdiction rather than profits. Uh, and I think we could look at something like that. Um, and then we'd be actually getting at the heart of the problem, which is these companies are profiting a huge amount. We, and, and as a result of their business model, they're undermining some of our civic institutions. Well, let's address that um, through tax and spend. Um, and let's make that a democratic decision rather than a system of private transfers between big tech and big media organisations You know, that really leave users kind of out of the mix and, and don't really prioritise the interests of users, but actually just treat them as a set of people to be mined for information, to be, you know, to optimise. Their, their stories for and not necessarily contribute to a, a better quality media or a better quality democracy. So that's the kind of thing I would, would like to see come out of these discussions rather mm. than, um, you know, just assuming that this is the only way to solve the problem as presented. Mm. I saw that Digital Rights Watch put a really comprehensive uh, submission into the inquiry. So um, congratulations on that front. For It's a really impressive document. Um, are those some of the solutions that you propose in in the inquiry and what kind of hope do you have that now that we've got to the point where the code is now you know active <laughs> that they'll go yeah. back and correct those those um, discrepancies as you see them yeah yeah well I mean you, you can check out our, our submission on our website if you're interested uh, one of our big concerns I suppose is that this really does solidify and entrench a kind of data Centric um, business model for media organisations that it, you know they they can continue to learn about users, they can continue to access the information that's available or some of it at least available to these big tech companies, and you know there's no guarantee that this is going to produce a greater, um, more diverse media. Smaller players are largely left out. Mm. Um, 
of the of the media coach, so they may not get access to any of the revenues that are generated. You know, some of the stuff around the ABC. I mean, the ABC is included, for example. But I'm very worried that that could create a stream of revenue that doesn't necessarily produce good good journalism, mm. but might also then justify public funding cuts. You mm. know, because now we can say you can get money from Google. You, you know, Scott Morrison doesn't need to fund the ABC. So, I think there's a lot of potential unintended consequences that could flow from this. Mm. Um, and we've tried to highlight that in our submissions, but. You know, we really do need to reform not just um, big tech's power over us as, as digital citizens, but also our, our sense of privacy, our ability to control and manage our own personal information and to hold companies accountable when they do the wrong thing, but also to be able to make active choices that are, um, that are meaningful. And, you know, I don't want either media companies or big tech companies from mining me for data and then turning my online experience into one of commodification and I think that means we need to, you know, fix journalism, of course, and address that problem, but also fix our privacy laws to make sure that we can't be exploited by these very powerful corporations as well. So, Lizzie, you've mentioned a lot of things that should change in a regulation sense, but what about the the individual, the listeners um, to 3CR? What can they do if they want to minimise their internet being misused or minimise the influence of Google and Facebook um, in their digital experience? Yeah, well, there's lots of different options. I mean, I think it's easy to say, oh, you should get off these mainstream platforms, and that's not possible for everyone because maybe they have only specific ways of communicating with their boomer parents, for example, or boomer family members. Maybe also they've got people overseas they want to stay in touch with via that platform. So I I think having a really strict kind of approach to this um, is not helpful in the sense that it's not our fault that these companies don't do the right thing. We need to advocate that they do do a better job of protecting our privacy and be forced to do that by government to represent our interests. But I think there's things you can try to change. Like, you can try and use a different search engine if, you, if you're keen to. Something like DuckDuckGo is, is, a, is an equivalent that does the same thing and as, as Google. Um, it'll be less optimised for you, but in, that may be more liberating in some ways. Um, and there's plenty of services, like email services and um, website hosting services that are similar, that have a similar approach that value privacy. And, you know, stimulating competition in the, within the marketplace that, um, that does create an incentive to protect privacy is probably a good start. There's lots of um, digital rights organisations. We've got some links to them on our website that provided like guides to using different kinds of apps that might be better protective of your privacy. Um, and you can check them out on our website. And there's plenty of different services like that. I think one thing you might want to think about as well is if you are a big user of social media platforms to find ways to, to link away, to not be totally dependent on these platforms as well. One of the things that's clear in this context of this discussion is how um, we can be very dependent on big tech companies in circumstances where we don't always exercise control over how they use our information or, or our platform, even if we've created it ourselves. So finding ways to be less dependent on them might actually be a very good practice for you if you're a, um, you know, an artist or a creator or a maker of these kinds of programs so that you, you're not beholden to them as well. It's in, it's in your interest, I think, to make sure that they don't... Lizzie, these are all fantastic um, <laughs> solutions, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but we uh, no, run out absolutely. of time on our live broadcast, our first live broadcast. <laughs> for a long time on Done by Law and 3CR. And so we have to thank you very much for your very generous time and um, knowledge that you've shared with us, um, myself and Gemma tonight on Done by Law. Um, if you're listening to the podcast through 3CR, make sure you um, keep funding community radio and either subscribe or donate to 3CR and you go to www.3cr.org.au and, or just look up 3CR on whatever search engine you're using. Thanks so much for your time, Lizzie O'Shea. We've been speaking with Lizzie, um, who's a lawyer and a writer and the author of Future Histories, what Ada Lovelace um 
Tom Payne and the Paris Commune teaches about digital technology. Uh, and she's also the founder and chair of Digital Rights Watch. We'll put links up to the Digital Rights Watch page on our website so that you can check out those links and have a look at the submission for yourself if you're interested. But thanks so much for your time, uh, both uh, Dr. Jake Goldenfine and to Lizzie O'Shea for tonight. And we hope you've enjoyed tonight's show and we'll see you next week. See you later. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.